0: Sorry to keep you waiting. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. This idea of waiting for the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40:31 says this, "...but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint." And this is a popular verse, many people have heard it, and it's been a verse I've been aware of, and it's been a verse I've actually really liked for a while now. But this verse took on new significance for me a couple weeks ago. So on a semi-regular basis, I try to do these kind of day of prayers where I set aside three to four hours and and I block it out and I just pray. There's no agenda besides praying, reading scripture, just meeting with the Lord, and I found it extremely helpful. Well, a couple weeks ago, I realized it had been quite a while since I had done one. And with everything going on, I really, I really needed it. And so I set aside that time, it was a Thursday morning, and uh, went outside, built a fire, campfire, and had my Bible, my notebook, and just set aside three hours to pray, to read, to, to meet with the Lord. And I started with, I actually really like starting with this verse, Isaiah 4031, because it helps me not just run in with my laundry list of requests or my big agenda of things I want to get through, but it helps me slow down and wait on him and see what he has for me. And so I really had the desire to do that. So I did, and, and I read that verse, and I actually went back and I'm like, you know, I really I want to read this whole chapter. And so over the next 45 minutes, an hour, I just slowly went through Isaiah chapter 40, and I just got so much out of it. It was such a wonderful time, and and, and it was just in such a good place mentally and just spiritually with God, and it was wonderful. And then the back door opened, and Jill came out and said, I didn't want to bother you, but there's kind of an emergency Okay, uh-oh, that's not words you want to hear. But remember, like, I'm in such a good place. I'm not anxious, I'm not worried, I'm trusting in the Lord, and this is great. And so I go in and find out that the fridge isn't working. It's warming up, and um, it's, you know, it's not just on defrost cycle. Like, food is actually getting warm, and probably going to start getting brewing pretty soon. And so, you know, like, okay, yeah, we need to figure this out. We need to deal with this. So we unplug it it back in i mean that's what you do right that's the first thing you always try (laughs) and sure enough like it it turns on when we plug it back in i can hear the fan running we look inside It, it seems like it's running okay what do we do and we ended up deciding that we just needed to wait so we said okay let's wait for half an hour and see what happens and remember i was doing so well during this whole time i was calm i wasn't anxious i wasn't worried and then i got back outside had half an hour and so I decided to go back to my day of prayer and I just couldn't I sat there trying to pray trying to read my Bible but I was worried I felt like I needed to be doing something to fix the problem so that half an hour was well it was kind of a waste I got back in and the fridge in the freezer had dropped exactly one degree it was exactly not what I wanted If it had gotten warmer, then I knew we needed to fix it. If it had gotten colder, I knew that it was okay. But barely getting colder felt like nothing. So for the next 20 minutes, we talked, we looked stuff up, we tried to figure out what in the world should we do. And what we ended up deciding was that we just needed to wait longer. And that was so hard, right? Now, I feel like I need to do something about this problem. I need to fix it. But the thing to do right then was to wait. And so I had a decision. Do I go back outside and try to continue to pray, to read my Bible, to to dwell with God, to abide with Jesus? Or do I just forget it, move on, go, you know, get started with work for the day, that sort of thing. And I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew what I should do. And I'm very thankful that I ended up deciding to do what I should do. I went back out to the campfire. I went back out And really, it took some time to get back into that place with God again. But it happened. And it made a huge difference. I went back through Isaiah chapter 40 and got so much more out of it again. And in some ways you could say it was ironic. Or in some ways you could say it was fitting that I was in Isaiah chapter 40 that day. Because what I was reading about was waiting on the Lord. And that's exactly what I needed to hear that morning. At a time when I couldn't do anything... I just needed to wait. It was such a perfect real life application to what I was reading in the Bible that day of waiting on the Lord. And sure enough, we didn't do anything and the went back to normal. It's been two weeks now, and the freezer and the fridge have been fine, no problems. And so all we needed to do was wait. So with that idea in mind, I wanna I wanna quickly talk a little bit more about this chapter about isaiah chapter 40. so let's do that isaiah chapter 40. now what i don't want to do is slowly go through the whole chapter and explain everything i don't think this video is meant for that actually i want to encourage you to do that later this week so i just want to give you a little bit of context for you to better understand what's going on here in isaiah chapter 40. so isaiah as many of you know is a prophet of israel leading up to the time of exile the time when they are taken away into exile and the first part of the book 1 through 39 is really focused on that leading up to exile it's a lot of judgment condemnation this is going to happen because of what you've done you're going to go into exile but then there's a shift when we get to isaiah chapter 40 and and it's almost like we're meant to read it from the perspective of coming back from exile even though isaiah wasn't alive during that time we're meant to read this as kind of a exiles over. Now what? Because here's, here's the problem. They come back from exile and it seems like everything's gonna be wonderful, but it's not. They rebuild the temple, but it's not, it's not Solomon's temple. And things just don't seem right. They're not returned to their former glory of David and Solomon. But Isaiah tells them to look forward a new Jerusalem, to a new day, where things will be even better than that. And so Isaiah 40 through 66 is a lot of hope, the hope of that future and the hope of a new Messiah, of the the Messiah that was going to come and restore everything, was going to make all things right again. So they're looking for that. There's a lot of hope in here. And we get to Isaiah 40, and it it says, it talks about comfort. It actually starts out with comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. And so it starts out that way, and yet so much of the chapter doesn't seem that comforting. Um, There's some things about hope. The voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Okay, this, this great person is coming. This Messiah. And yet, the way it talks about people and God may seem not that comforting. People are grass. They wither, the flowers fade, actually from the breath of the Lord this happens, right? God causes this. He talks about how the nations, the peoples are a drop in the in the bucket, they're dust on the scales. We are nothing. And yet God, on the other hand, so much of this is focused on the greatness of God. How how mighty, how transcendent and sovereign how high up God is. And so we get this we get this contrast between God and between us. We are nothing, and yet God is so great and so wonderful. And that may seem not that comforting, but it is because there's another part of it. It talks about God as the king, right? We know he's the king of kings, and yet describes him as the shepherd king. He's the one who cares for his flock. That kind of language isn't used about kings very often as being a shepherd, right? But that's the kind of king that God is. He cares for us. Even though we're nothing, he cares for us. So it talks all about this greatness of God, and we get towards the end, and it talks about, you know, God doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, all these things. But, but we do, right? Youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But this is verse 31 those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not be faint those who wait for the Lord and this is timely for people coming out of exile because things weren't right but they wanted to make it right and they wanted to do it on their own power And as we see in the hundreds of years in between, when they come back from exile, when Jesus comes, there's actually a few different people that step up to be the Messiah, to be the Savior, that try to overthrow the powers. And some of them even do temporarily to try to be that Savior that Israel needs. But it doesn't work. It falls flat. What did they need to do during that time? They needed to wait. They needed to wait the Lord. And so we get this idea that that's what they were supposed to be doing, is waiting for the Lord. And this is fitting for us in a time right now when there's difficulty going on, when there's struggle, right? There's a pandemic in the world. and I And a lot of us feel like we need to do something about it. We need to fix this. And yet what were we told to do? Stay at home. Wait. It feels like nothing. And it's hard and we're anxious and we're worried and we're struggling with this and yet who's the only one that can truly fix this yahweh the lord we need to wait on him but what does it mean to wait for the lord let's talk about that how do you wait for the lord that's the question that comes out of this for me because I have this vague idea, right, of, of what it means, it's kind of abstract, and yet what does it really mean? What does it look like in my life to really wait for the Lord? And so as we talk about this, the reality is it's it goes against our culture right now. You see, the culture we live in is very busy. We're in a hurry. And it's interesting because you go back 70, 80 years in the middle of the 20th century. Economists predicted that the biggest problem in the 21st century was going to be figuring out to do, figuring out what to do with all of our leisure time, with all of our time off. See, at that time, the average work week had been getting shorter and shorter. People were working less and less hours each week. And they predicted that around this time, we were going to be working less than 15 hours a week. Now, let me ask you, is that true? Are we working that few of hours? Is our biggest issue today what to do with all our free time? Now, granted, in the midst of what's going on right now with COVID-19, with all of this, maybe that is the case for you. But take that out of the equation for a moment and just think, is that what you were facing a couple months ago? Your answer is probably no, that's not true. We're busier than ever. And I think a big part of what's happened is that we've idolized busyness. We like it. Now, I think in the midst of it, we don't like it, but there's this idolization of it, right? We don't like being busy, but we like telling people that we're busy. I mean, you think about it. How often have you asked somebody or have you been asked, how are you and what's, what's the response? I'm good. I'm busy but I'm good or, or just oh we're busy yeah we're really busy and we feel good when we say it because it makes us look important right it used to be that the rich and powerful had lots of leisure time and that's flipped now to where the rich and powerful are working 80 100 hour weeks you think about the most successful CEOs never sleep right they're working all the time and for some reason we look up to it and yet what we find God's Word, what we find, the reality of it is, is that hurry is the enemy of spiritual life. When you think about Jesus, do you think busy? Do you think hurried? Do you think frantic? That wasn't the way Jesus was at all, right? And so we have to understand that waiting for the Lord is anti-culture. It goes against the grain of culture, and it's going to take work. And so it starts with, first of all, it starts with recognizing that He is God and we are not. We have to know that first. We have to believe that and know that that's true. I mean, that goes back to the foundational sin of humanity, right? It's thinking that we are God, thinking that we're in charge. And when we think we're in charge, when we think that the world depends on us, that we're our own Savior or we're going to save the world, then we start to feel really busy and really hurried. But it's not true. We're not God. And Isaiah chapter 40 is all about we are nothing. He is the one true God. So we have to believe that. But we can't stop there. You see, the problem is too often in life we stop there. We think that if I believe the right things, if I know the right things, if I have good doctrine, that's enough. But the truth is we need to practice it. You see, following the way of Jesus isn't just an ascent of knowledge. It's not just knowing things. It's practicing. You think of it like a sport like playing basketball if you're a basketball player you practice right and you're going to go to practice on a regular basis you practice these things and yet so often with following jesus we don't think we need to practice it we just need to know these things but it really comes back down to daily practice so how do we actually practice waiting for the lord a big area that it takes place Is in our time with God is in that time that we set aside each day for reading our Bibles for praying and if you don't do that if that's not a part of your daily practice I encourage you to do it to start practicing that to set aside time each day to be in God's Word to be praying but how we wait on the Lord is is the heart that we have when we go into it is the mind frame that we have when we go into that time and I'll be honest with you too often my mind's in the wrong place. Too often I go into that time with God in a hurry. See I do that time in the morning, right? I give my first part of the day to God and yet I'm in a hurry to get through it, right? I'm reading through the Bible this year and so I've got to get through all these chapters today. I've got to pray for all these people today. I've got to get through all these things so that I can get on with the rest of my day, whether that's work or projects or play, right? I I want to get through it. I want to hurry through it so I can get it done. But that's not waiting for the Lord. That's not waiting on the Lord. I need to go into that mind frame, patient, calm, not anxious, waiting for the Lord to speak to me through his word, through prayer. I need to change my perspective as I go into that. So you need to have that time, but you also need to go into it with the right perspective. And it's hard. It takes work, even this morning. I mean, I'm preaching on this today, and yet I, feel, I still felt so hurried this morning because I needed to get ready so I could make this video. My heart was in the wrong place, right? So do that on a daily basis. But I would also encourage you to set aside time whether it's every month or maybe a few times a year at least. Set aside a chunk of three to four hours where you're going to pray and read God's Word. Where you're going to rest in Him. Where you don't have some big agenda of all the things you need to get through. You're going to wait for the Lord. And getting yourself into that place will help you the rest of the day, will help you the rest of the week. It's it's counter-cultural. It's anti-what we're used to. But this is how we wait on the Lord, is by not being in a hurry, by resting in Him. And we can do this because of what Jesus has done for us. Because we're not God. We're not our own Savior. Jesus has accomplished it. Right? Through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, we have hope in what he has done for us. That we don't have to do it. We don't have to strive for our own salvation. We don't have to strive for doing it ourselves. Jesus has done it for us. He has died for our sins. He has forgiven us. He's died for our shame. He's died for our fear. So that we can rest in him. And we need to do that. And so I want to encourage you to do that this week. And I want to encourage you to do that specifically with Isaiah chapter 40. I didn't go through it much. I gave you an overview. But that's because I want you to go through it yourself. And here's the thing about Isaiah 40. It's poetry. And up until a couple days ago, I really hated poetry. Do you know why? Because I'm in a hurry. I'm always in a hurry. And you can't enjoy poetry if you're in a hurry. To really understand it, to really get it, you gotta take your time, you gotta chew on it, you gotta meditate on it. And Isaiah chapter 40 is poetry. And so I encourage you to set aside an hour, a whole hour, whether you feel really busy this week or not, set aside an hour to read through Isaiah chapter 40 and to take your time, to not be in a hurry, even if you don't get through the whole thing, even if you only get through five verses, that's okay. But set aside that time just to rest in the Father, To rest in Jesus, to read his word, to know what it's saying, to enjoy it, to learn from it, to wait on him.